Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 23. We are going to look at verse 6 this morning. And although we're going to focus on the, the last verse of this psalm, I would like to read the whole psalm. It is a familiar psalm. But we'll read the whole psalm, get the flow of the psalm, but we'll focus our remarks on verse 6. So let's give our attention now to the reading of the Word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship, this time of your word where you speak to your people, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would very much be at work in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds, that you would take this word and make it clear to us and make it relevant for our lives as your people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Most of us have some sort of insurance policy. Life insurance, health insurance, home insurance, auto insurance, and you could probably name some other insurance policies. What's the reason behind these insurance policies? What's their purpose? Why do we need them? Well, there are a number of answers that we could give to these questions, but two especially stand out. The insurance policies that we have provide protection and hope. Protection. If a tragedy strikes, we are protected from paying out of our own pockets. Paying for the cost of a hospital stay, the repair of an automobile, the replacement of a home, if, that, if it would come to that. Protection, but also hope. If a calamity strikes, we don't have to start from scratch. When we get to the golden age of retirement, we'll have something there to live on. That's the goal, isn't it? And for the benefits of protection and hope, we are willing to pay for insurance policies. And we don't ever want to use them, but they are there just in case. In many ways, Psalm 23 could be seen as the insurance policy that the shepherd provides for his sheep. It lists all the benefits the sheep receive under the shepherd's care. From the I shall not want of verse 1 to the summary statement of verse 6, everything is geared toward the benefit of the sheep. To be under the shepherd's care means that he will supply all of your needs in whatever situation you are facing. 
His insurance policy has tremendous benefits, much greater benefits than any earthly insurance policy. So that we can rest secure in the benefits that our shepherd offers to us. So what are those benefits? I want to talk about several of those benefits coming out of verse 6. There are practical benefits for the one who is under the shepherd's care. We see that in the first part of of, of verse 6 where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David mentions here goodness and mercy. What does he mean by those words? What does it mean that goodness will follow you? Well, the word goodness can be used in a number of ways. It sort of has two sides to it, both, I think, in the Hebrew term that's used and also probably in the the English word. There's a side of goodness which stresses the ideas of pleasantness and beauty. Something is good if it is beautiful, if it is pleasant. That's one side of the word goodness. The other side of the word goodness is a much more practical side. Something is good if it is useful. Genesis 2 verse 9 says that out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. This, this verse has both of those aspects there, although the word good is only used for one of those aspects. But you notice the phrase in Genesis 2.9, pleasing to the sight. That doesn't use the word good, but it's the idea, isn't it? It expresses the idea of beauty, something that is pleasing to the sight. The fruit of those trees was pleasant to look at. But then it says good for food. Here the word good is used It's good because it's functional. It's good because it's useful. You can eat it. It has a practical benefit connected to it. Think of an apple sitting on the desk of a teacher. It's shiny and it's pleasant in appearance. And in in that sense, it is beautiful. It looks beautiful. And yet an apple is very practical in the sense that you can eat it. It brings you nourishment. It has that practical benefit to it. It looks shiny and good, but it's also good for food, for nourishment. I think in Psalm 23, David is is stressing the, the practical side of this word goodness. And the reason for that is in context, David has been talking about some very difficult things. He's mentioned in verse 4 the the valley of of the shadow of death. He mentions in verse 5 the table that God prepares in the presence of his enemies. Life is full of difficult circumstances, difficult situations. And even in these unpleasant situations, God's goodness is following those who have him for their shepherd. But not just goodness. It also says mercy. Mercy shall follow you. Some translations use the word loving kindness. This word stresses the idea of compassion. Love freely given to someone in a difficult situation. 
In reference to God, it's His mercy that flows out of His covenant promises to His people. And when you think of God's mercy in light of His covenant promises, you are in the arena of God's faithfulness. This is the Hebrew word chesed. Some of you have heard of that word. That's that's why I use it. It's used in context where it refers to God's faithfulness to His covenant promises, God's covenant loyalty. Usually translated in the ESV, the version that I am using, as steadfast love. In fact, I have a note in my uh, translation of Psalm 23 here next to mercy. And you go down to the bottom it says, or steadfast love. That's the way the ESV usually translates this particular word. So in whatever situation you're facing, you have the assurance that God's covenant faithfulness is following you. You have the assurance of God's covenant loyalty. He will be faithful to His promises. He will not abandon you. I think Joseph is a great example of this. Genesis 37, Joseph maybe not have been the wisest young man. Uh, There in Genesis 37, he had that uh, favorite coat That his father had given to him and his brothers did not like that. And then Joseph was kind of like the tattletale little brother. Giving a bad report of, of his brothers to his father. And so the brothers of Joseph hated him. They threw him in a pit. They came up with this scheme to... To sell Joseph as a slave into Egypt, this caravan that was going by, and to tell his father that a wild animal had killed Joseph, taking that coat of many colors as it's translated and and dipping it in blood. And yet in Egypt, as a slave in Egypt, Joseph flourishes. He becomes the um, head of Potiphar's house. Then you know the story, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, put in prison, but even there God blesses him. Genesis 39, 21 says God showed him kindness. That's the same word, chesed, uh, steadfast love, covenant loyalty. Everywhere that Joseph goes, he's put in charge of things. He must have had a tremendous gift of administration. Put in prison, put in charge of the prisoners. A couple of the prisoners have dreams. He interprets those dreams. Eventually, Pharaoh has dreams. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He becomes second in command of all of Egypt. Brings his family down to Egypt. His father realizes that he's alive. Comes down into Egypt. And when Joseph's father dies, do you remember... What Joseph said to his brothers, his brothers were very worried that now maybe Joseph was going to execute revenge against them. Joseph said to his brothers after his fathers died, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
Even in the pit, even in being sold to Egypt, God's goodness and covenant loyalty follow Joseph. And that is an encouragement to us. Whatever situation we are facing, God can bring good out of it. God will be faithful to his covenant promises. He will supply what his people need. What happened to Joseph is not something that happened by chance. Psalm 23 stresses the certainty of God's goodness and mercy following us. In other words, these benefits that God provides for the sheep are not only practical benefits, they are guaranteed benefits. That also comes out in verse 6 of Psalm 23. It comes out in two ways. Verse 6 begins with, surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This, this word is, is used to express an affirmative. Yes, it's going to happen. Goodness and mercy will follow God's people. Even in unpleasant circumstances, God's goodness and mercy will follow you. It's guaranteed. The other way certainty is emphasized in this word is, or in this verse, is in the word translated follow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This particular word is used in places of the Old Testament where it is better translated pursue. Not just follow. But pursue, it's used in context where one enemy has, de- one army has defeated another army. And that army that has defeated the other ar- army is pursuing that army. Knowing that they are defeated and they want to complete the process. And so this word, not just follow, but this word can, can be translated pursue. You know, the difference here is like you're, you're on the highway and you're following behind another car. Sometimes when we go to the beach, we have several cars going in a caravan. And we have a, a car that's in front and the other two cars are just kind of following along. They're not uh, trying to keep up, but they're not trying to uh, pass or tr- track down or anything. They're just kind of following along. That's different than if there was a police car behind you with its lights on. That police car chasing you down, tracking you down, it's going, it's not going to stop until it catches you. Unless for some reason you outrun it, which is not a good idea. The idea here is that goodness and mercy will not just kind of trail along behind you, following you, but that God's goodness and His mercy is on your trail, pursuing you, hunting you down. It will overtake you. It's guaranteed. So if you find yourself in a pit this morning, God's goodness and His mercy is hot on your trail. If you're struggling with unknown fears and the emotional drain of conflict, God's goodness and mercy are in hot pursuit. If you're dealing with failure and frustration and and life just isn't going the way you really want it to go, His goodness and His mercy is zeroing in on you and they will find you 
they will overtake you. It's a guaranteed benefit if you are under the shepherd's care. It won't happen in some haphazard way. All according to God's purposes, all according to God's plans, His goodness and His mercy will show up for you exactly when you need it. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me. I like that translation. All the days of my life. But we also see in this verse, the second part of of verse 6, that God's benefits are eternal. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that sound strange to you? David here writes and prays, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that sound like something you would really like to do? What does David mean, I I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? To dwell can mean to live in a house or a city, to to be a permanent resident. It may also have the meaning of remaining somewhere for a longer period of time, lingering somewhere, not being in a hurry to leave somewhere. I really want to be there. It's like home to me. And where is this place that David longs to be? Well, it is the house of the Lord. When we hear this phrase, the house of the Lord, we probably think of the temple. And we have to remember that when David was alive, the temple had not yet been built. His son Solomon built the temple. So what David is referring to here is the Ark of the Covenant that was housed in the tabernacle, that tent-like structure that was very mobile. Of course, when the temple was built, the ark was housed in the temple. But what is important here is not the structure so much, but what is important here is that what this place represents, what this tabernacle, what this temple represents is the presence of the Lord. That's where God's presence dwells. Remember back in Genesis 28 when Jacob was fleeing from Esau, his brother, whom he had tricked, if you will, out of his inheritance. Jacob stayed in this deserted place where he used a stone for a pillow. And there the Lord gave Jacob a dream which reaffirmed to him the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And when Jacob awoke, he said this, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. This is None other than the house of God. Beth-el. Bethel. Beth, house of El, God. There was no building there. There was no structure there. This is out in this deserted place. Nothing was there, but this stone is a pillow. And, and, and Jacob says, this is the house of God because here I experienced in a very powerful way the presence of God. That's the important thing. It's the presence of the Lord that makes something a house of God. 
In Psalm 23, 6, David is affirming that he longs to remain in that special place of God's presence. He longs to be with God. He longs to worship God. It's his heart's desire. It's what he desires to do. Psalm 27, 4, David himself writes, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 42, not a Davidic psalm, says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When shall I come again and appear before God? Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. These psalms express that deep longing that the psalmists have to come into the very presence of God and to worship God. Today with the coming of Jesus Christ, we don't build altars. Christ was sacrificed On the cross. We don't have a a physical Ark of the Covenant. We don't have a temple like in Solomon's day. But we have a house of God, and I'm not primarily talking about this building as much as we appreciate this building. It's not this building that's most important. It's those of you who gather here Sunday by Sunday to worship God, to enter into the presence of God, the holy presence of God of the God who has redeemed you and the God who has saved you. The beauty is what takes place in this house of worship. The beauty is what God is doing in each of your lives. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul says to Timothy, I write to you that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And he goes on to say, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The house of God is not the building. It's the people of God gathered together for the worship of God. And when God's people gather together for worship, God promises that his presence will be there. Be there in a special way. Something happens when God's people gather together for worship that does not happen anywhere else. God promises that He will be with His people. Now, He is with you individually, yes. But there's something glorious that takes place when God's people come together to worship. David longs to be at that place of the worship of God with the people of God. Do you long for that? As the deer pants for the waters, do you long to be refreshed in the presence of God? Is that the result of worship for you? All of us are created in the image of God. We all have this spiritual dimension to our life, this spiritual void that needs to be filled. And if we don't fill it with Christ and the truth that comes to us from the Word of God, we will... Fill it with other things. 
Many people try to fill this deep longing of their hearts with hard work, material possessions, worldly satisfactions, something to plug that spiritual void in my life. This deep emptiness that I have spiritually unless unless that hole is filled by God through His Holy Spirit because we have believed in Jesus Christ as our shepherd. Augustine himself has that famous saying, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. David longs to be in the presence of God. But he also envisions it for all eternity. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. If you've ever experienced that deep satisfaction, that holy thrill, that unbelievable joy because of God's love for unworthy sinners when you've come together with with the rest of God's people to worship Him, if you've experienced that, Soaring to the heights of heaven in worship. You've had a taste, just a taste, of what we will experience when we are in the very presence of God for all eternity. Sometimes after Sunday morning worship, people hang around for a while, don't they? Something wonderful happens. That fellowship, that impact of the Word of God in our lives, that strengthening, that encouragement that that we need every week. What a blessing. Just a taste of what we will experience in the new heavens and new earth. Psalm 23 is is quite an insurance policy. It doesn't guarantee that you will never face trouble or hardship. No, insurance policies can't guarantee that you will never face difficulty in life. But it does promise certain benefits. Practical benefits, guaranteed benefits, and eternal benefits. Psalm 23 promises a great future of glorying in the presence of God. And all of these blessings and benefits can be yours if you are able to say, as David does in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. This is a personal relationship with this great shepherd. And we know in light of the coming of Jesus Christ and what Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd who's come to give his life for the sheep. We know that these blessings are available to anyone who has has this relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I hope you know him. The story is told of two men on stage before a large audience. Part of the program that particular evening included a recitation of of the 23rd Psalm. The young man was dramatic, theatrical, beautiful in his recitation, and when he, he finished Psalm 23, great applause, great applause. The older gentleman leaning on a cane, he also recited Psalm 23, and 
When he was finished, a silence fell over the crowd. The difference. The young man knew the psalm. He could recite the psalm. But it's another thing to know the shepherd behind the psalm. I pray that you know the shepherd. I pray that you know Jesus Christ. I pray that you have the assurance that in your life these benefits are yours. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He offers benefits that cannot be beaten. Trust in Christ as your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great assurances to your people. We, we live in a, in a world that is very chaotic, very turbulent, a difficult world. We face personal things, Lord, that are also very difficult. And we thank you for this assurance that you will continue to supply whatever we need in whatever situation we face. Help us, Lord, to live our lives this day. Help us to live our lives this week with that assurance. Looking forward to when we can come back next Sunday and enter again into your glorious presence. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.